Merry Christmas, church. Now, I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you, that when you say Merry Christmas to the church, you expect a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, church. Thank you. We have reason to be merry, amen? Christ the Lord has come. He is born. Uh, We had a great first Christmas in our new place. New beginnings, new starts, and uh, it's a lot colder here than San Diego. (laughs) We're still trying to get used to that a little bit. It's a little more brisk when you step outside. You need your jacket. And, uh, but we're enjoying it, enjoying the snow, a lot of snow on the mountains. And uh, so we had our first Christmas here in, in, uh, in this area and enjoyed Lisa's brother and his family coming out and my mom here. And, and so we had a good Christmas. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas as well. And um, good to see you here this morning. Now, you know, we're, we're, uh, we kind of have a saying as we go along on Sabbath morning about God being good all the time, right? Not part of the time or some of the time, but all the time. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say some statements, and at the end of the statement, you just say, all the time. Okay? Can you do that? All the time you can do that. Thank you, Jen. I appreciate that. All right. The Christ child has come, showing us that God is good. Revealing to us that God is love. Proving to us that God is faithful. Proclaiming to us that God is our Savior. And reminding us that God is with us all the time. time. Isn't that good news? All the time. All the time. we got to remember that. And that's one of the things I love about Christmas is that it reminds us of God's love and goodness and faithfulness all the time. Even in the middle of February or April or August when it's hot here, all the time God is good. I was uh, looking for something to watch on TV uh, a few nights ago which is a challenge in itself these days, all the time. (laughs) Isn't it amazing that you can have hundreds, literally hundreds of channels, and still not find something to watch? I I keep going through. Pretty soon I realize I've seen that show come by about three times. But I came upon this show. Maybe you discovered it. I think it just started. I think it's called Finding My Family or something like that. And it's about people who are trying to find um, family members that they lost track of. And this one particular episode, this lady uh, who was adopted, her, her adoptive gr- uh, mother had passed away from cancer, so she began this search for her biological mother. And as she ended up finding her, the TV show brings them together, and the picture that you see behind me is, is this woman with her mother, and then she also discovers, discovers that she has a little sister. But the reason I'm telling you this is because I loved what the mother said to her. She looked her in the eyes and she said, there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't love you. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think of you. There wasn't a birthday of yours that went by that I did not sing happy birthday to you. And I thought, Christ coming as a child is God telling us, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about you. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't love you. There isn't a birthday that you have that I don't sing happy birthday to you. He's come to show us the love of the Father. And so he sends us Jesus Christ. The Christ child has come, and we have beheld him. And his hope and purpose in coming is that we would not only behold him, but that in our beholding, we would believe. That we would really believe in who he is and what he's come to do and what this life is really meant to be. 
I got a kick out of reading about uh, Jonathan Whitfield when he was preaching to coal miners in England. He asked one man, what do you believe? And he said, well, I believe the same as the church. And what does the church believe, he asked. Well, they believe the same as me. (laughs) Seeing he was getting nowhere, Whitfield said, and what is it that you both believe? And the man said, well, I suppose the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) You are the church. What do you believe? Because what you and I believe is what the church really believes. You see, it's not just doctrines and all 28 of them and all these types of things that we can put in books. It's how the church lives. That's what the church believes. And the core of our beliefs is found in Jesus Christ. It's found in that Christ child. And what do we really think of the Christ child? What do we believe about the the child that is king and Lord and Savior? And I want to suggest to you three basic things this morning that I believe God invites us to believe because of the Christ child. The first thing I think he asks us to believe is that he really can save us, that he really is capable and all-powerful to save us. If you remember last week, we were looking at the story of Mary and Joseph, and the angel said, you will, name his, you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The greatest thing that we need to be saved from, in my opinion, is ourselves. I need to be saved from myself. My ways of self-reliance and not trusting in God and trying to control the outcomes, it's all up to God, and he can save us. I want to revisit Ephesians chapter 2, which we looked at last week, which contains that favorite theological word I shared with you uh, last week. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is not work among those who are disobedient, all of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But I want you to say these two words with me in verse 4. If we've got it up there. What are those first two words? But God. Your life hinges on those two words. But God. If you heard everything I said before that, life was over. We were heading down a dead-end road, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, but God sent his Son into the world so he might save us. I've always loved the the parables that Jesus told in Luke 15, the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost, I believe, sons not the lost prodigal son. There were two prodigal sons in that story. But all of those parables focus on God seeking to save those he loves, humanity, seeking for the lost coin, seeking for the lost sheep, running out to the son who had wandered away. He pursues us. I recently was listening to a a friend uh, playing some music in Portland. Um, His name is Michael, and he was playing these wonderful songs. He has such a wonderful gift with music and the gospel. And he shared this story 
about how he had gone into a prison to do some ministry. And in his concert there, when he was playing, as he was leaving, one of the guards came up to him and said, is, is your name Michael? And he said, yes, it is. Now, he said, this was a, like a solitary confinement type of place. He said there were guys up in cells behind windows that they were told not to go anywhere near those windows. But as he was leaving, he said, is your name Michael? He says, yes. He says, there's an there's a inmate that would really like to speak with you. He got a little nervous, a little scared, because if you knew Michael's testimony about how God found him, he was very wrapped up into drugs and, and the drug scene. And he was a little scared because he thought, oh, no, maybe this is someone I used to run with, and they got caught and I didn't, and this is not going to be good. He was a little fearful, and he went up to the window. He says, I didn't recognize the man, so I felt a little bit better than that, about that. And he said, but then the man said to him, is your name Michael? And he said, yes, it is. And he says, you know, I don't have much. I don't get to get out very often. He says, but I have this. And he pointed to a radio. And he says, I was listening to this station and a song came on. And he said, it touched me so much. He said, I listened to it and I, I listened to the station all day and for several days so I could keep hopefully hearing the song. And I wrote down, every time the song came, I'd write down more and more of the lyrics until I finally got the song. He says, did you write this song? And he said, yes, I did. And then Michael said, I felt the Spirit impressing me to sing him that song right then. And he began singing to the man. And they both began to tear up, began to shed the tears of experiencing the Spirit in their life. And that man began to know Jesus. God pursues us. Even if we're in solitary confinement, locked behind doors and windows, it doesn't matter. God will find a way to find us and to save us and to let us know that he loves us beyond our own doings, beyond ourself. When Jesus was talking with his disciples, he had been speaking to a rich man, and Jesus said that it's easier sometimes for a, for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And the disciples said to him, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus said these words, for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. It is possible for God to save us. And that's why he came and gave his son so that we could know we can be saved because of his love and his grace. John 1, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from most of our unrighteousness. There's a few people listening. From how much? From all. From all unrighteousness. He will he is faithful and he is just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God has the power and the grace to heal us and to save us and to cleanse us. I've always loved 1 John 5. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may wonder for the rest of your earthly life if you have eternal life. It sounds silly, doesn't it? Because it is silly. It says this, so that you may know that you have eternal life. What kind of church are we if we go day to day wondering if we have eternal life? A church that's not full of very much joy or very much peace or love or trust. You see, when we're a church that accepts the Christ child and believes that he saves me and that he can save me and he has saved me by his grace, the gift of grace, then I can live this life with the fullness of joy and the assurance that God is able to save me. 
But what is eternal life? Is eternal life the final grand day when Jesus comes back with the loud trumpet and I finally get to walk on the streets of gold, move into my mansion and get my crown? Is that eternal life? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in John chapter 17 when he was praying to the Father, he said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, that's why eternal life starts now, because we can know God now. We can know God through the presence of his spirit, through receiving the Christ child. We can know the goodness of God, the faithfulness, the love, the presence of God. And so eternal life starts now. And I get to experience God transforming me on earth now. Experiencing that sanctification of saving me from myself. And like John the Baptist said, so there can be less of me and more of him. The second thing that God invites us to believe through the Christ child is that not only are we forgiven from sin and we, and we get to be saved from our unrighteousness, but we get to become his beloved, his beloved children. John 1.12 says this, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Isn't it an amazing gift to get to be the child of God? To be his beloved, to be part of God's family. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote. I read a little bit to you uh, last week from Henry Nouwen. I remember hearing him lecture years and years ago, and he said this one thing that has stuck with me for years, for decades. He said, here is your greatest temptation all through life. You will be tempted in three ways, and these three things will always tempt you to question that you are the beloved of God. The first thing is you will be tempted to base your worth and your identity in this world on what you have. We heard a great children's story this morning about Madame Blueberry, about the stuff. And if I have all the right stuff, sometimes then I'm somebody in this world. He says you'll be tempted with that. The second thing you'll be tempted with is by your achievements. If you base your worth and your identity and purpose in life based on all your achievements, look out. So the third thing that you'll be tempted to not trust God in is what people say about you. Now think about it for a second. If I base my worth and my identity in this world on what I have, on my achievements, and what people say about me, I like to say this in a biblical way, you're going to be on the roller coaster from Hades. You know that biblical word? It means hell. You will be on the roller coaster from Hades. When I have the things that I finally wanted all my life or whatever it is, life is good. If I lose those things, life is rough. If I'm making all these great achievements, but then I lose those achievements, I lose position, what is my life? When I'm, people are saying great things about me, man, life is good. Wow, people aren't too happy with me. Life is rough. God says, you are my beloved, no matter what you have, no matter what you achieve, no matter what people say about you, you are my beloved children. I've always loved the fact that the Father said those words to Jesus before he started his public ministry. When Jesus was being baptized, the heavens opened, the dove came down, the Holy Spirit, God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done a miracle yet. 
He hadn't done anything in ministry, and yet there he was being baptized, and the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I want to suggest that he said that to you when you were born. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter and who I am well pleased. We get to become children of God through the Christ child. The third thing that God invites us to believe because the Christ child has come is that we can live in his kingdom now. That we can live under the reign of God now while on earth. That we can live with the joy of knowing Jesus, the Christ child, as our Lord and our master. When Jesus began his ministry, he said these words. It says in John, uh, Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. You see, the good news was that through Jesus Christ, through the Christ child, the kingdom doors were being swung wide open. That anybody who wanted to come into the kingdom of God, anybody who wanted to live under the reign of God could do so now because the invitation was there. You didn't have to have your act all together before you walked through the doors. You come just as you are and you walk in and be embraced by the Father. Come, he says. Repent. Think about your thinking and believe the good news. That word gospel means good news, but... In the Greek, it really is a term of victory. It's also what they used when there was a ruler, a new ruler or a new lord. So, for instance, they could easily say the word gospel, euangelion in the Greek, when Caesar, they could say, there's good news. Caesar is Lord. Bow down and worship. That's why there was such strife and such uh, tough times for the early church because they were going around saying, no, no, no. There's good news. There's a new lord in town. His name is Jesus Christ. Bow down and worship. Come into the kingdom and the reign of God. Come follow me, Jesus invites us. Jesus is Lord. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul said that it's in him that we live and move and have our being. One of my favorite authors and speakers, Dallas Willard, who's a philosopher, a Christian philosopher. He teaches philosophy at USC. It's been there since I think about the mid-60s. He says, you know, all of life, as a philosopher, all of life really comes down to four questions. Four questions, that's it. He says, as, I, as I've studied humanity and all the different um, cultures, it comes down to these four questions. Now, people may not cognitively think this precise, but this is really what it comes down to. What is reality? Who is really well off? Who's really blessed? Who is really a good person? And how do you get to be a really good person? Those are the four big questions, he says, of life. And he suggests that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, these are the answers. What is reality? It's God and his kingdom. That's what Jesus came to proclaim. God and his kingdom is true reality. Who is really well off and blessed? Someone who's alive in the kingdom of God. And who really is a good person? Jesus would suggest that a good person is someone who's pervaded with agape love. Someone full of unconditional love. And then the big question, how does one get to be a really good person? By being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's reality. Being alive in the kingdom of God. Being pervaded with agape love by being a follower of Jesus. By letting him be our master. There is a quote that I think is one of the most misquoted quotes in the whole world. It's this statement. Let me see if you know it. You shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall make you free. Who said that? Jesus. Thank you. Jesus said that. But it's very incomplete. And that quote is used all throughout the world about speaking truth, listening to truth. But listen to what Jesus said before he said that. He says it in John chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What truth is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about being saved by God and being his beloved and living the life under the reign of God as master and disciple and Lord. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When Jesus proclaimed the good news, he was saying the kingdom of God is everything. Come live in the kingdom of God. Live under my reign. Let me be your master. I love the old spiritual, I believe. It says, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe just what he said. By faith I believe. By faith I receive. By faith I can see it. By faith I can have it. By faith I can share it. I believe just what he said. I believe every word he said. It's good to believe in the Christ child. It's great to behold him and adore him that he's come, but believe. We've got to believe that he has come to save us, that he's come to invite us to know him as his children, and he's come to invite us to enjoy being mastered by him. In closing today, I'd like to just share with you a few paragraphs from one of my favorite prayers, the prayer of St. Patrick. I bind this to me forever. By power of faith, Christ's incarnation, his baptism in the Jordan River, his death on the cross for my salvation, his bursting from the spice tomb, his riding up the heavenly way, his coming on the judgment day, I bind unto myself today. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to conform and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet. Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, of whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word. Praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. I believe. I believe in the Christ child. I believe in every word he said. And I believe his kingdom and living in it is the greatest thing we can have for life now and for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to seek us out, to save us, to love us the way that you do. I pray, Lord, as we now are on the other side of Christmas, that we would allow you to be born every day more profoundly into our hearts and the reality of our lives that we would enjoy knowing you and being saved, of being your beloved and living under your lordship. Lord, there really isn't anything we can have, anything we can achieve, anything people can say about us that compares to believing you. So we ask for the grace as we look forward to this coming year to live richly in asking what you've asked us to believe in you. 
now and for all eternity. I want to invite you at this time to take a moment in silent prayer from the Apostle Paul. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen.